Hello and welcome to the Q York podcast. It's great to have you with us today and we hope that as you listen, you'll be inspired as we continue on our shared quest together. This podcast is entirely free and yet it's not cheap to put together and wouldn't be possible without the generosity of our supporters. So if you consider yourself a supporter of Q, then please head to qyork.co.uk and hit donate to show your support today because there really is no Q without you. Thank you and enjoy today's message. Again, good morning. Thank you for your presence. Um, just a shout out this morning for Sarah Fox. She lost her mum this, this week. So Mick and Sarah are over there this weekend. And also a shout out for our Jen Hughes back with us again today. Still got many challenges ahead, but uh, we're so glad you're here. And uh, I must confess, I... I find the whole issue of prayer very, very difficult in my life, in where I've come in my journey, because I realize so many of the terminologies are associated with ancient ideas of the feudal system of lordship and, uh, and the divine right of kings and all that stuff. And then I have to wrestle with, if, if the divine God of Jesus is truly a father, then where does, where does all the terminologies that make us very subservient and and bowing down come into that because if my kids ever came to my house and called me lord I would be quite upset and I'm being honest and I'm trying I wrestle with these things and the fact that then in the manifestation of this divine presence who we know as the God of Jesus comes in the flesh and he calls us his friends I then have to look at the idea of there's friendship and fatherhood coming in this. So, so sometimes I struggled because we all grew up, if we were in church, with terminologies that we used in prayer. And I think we sought to use them. If I, if I can flatter God with these phrases and how subservient I have, perhaps he'll smile upon me. So I, I sometimes don't know what to do. So all I want to say today is what, what Paul said, the God of all grace, the God of all grace will smile upon Sarah today and smile upon Jenny today and continue to shine upon them out of the Father heart and the friendship spirit. That's my prayer over you today. Now, the video that we just watched, I was in my heart and I wanted Chris to, to, to use it as the first video today because if you want an impression of me where I am in life, in video form, you just watched it. And I find it extremely moving to watch that last final clip of, of, of the movie Castaway because that is such a picture of my life and it does something to me right here. And uh, I thought about that in the context of a story that I was familiar with uh, from hearing preachers preach it for many years, which is the story of the Continental Divide. And it was mostly used in the context of the um, Rocky Mountain Range in America that runs all the way from Canada, um, way, way down to the Mexican border. And uh, there literally is a part of that, which Chris and I have crossed many times, uh, that's called the Continental Divide. And it's the part of the mountain range where if a raindrop falls and lands on one side of the divide it finishes up in the Pacific Ocean. If that same raindrop falls and lands on the other side of the divide, 
it finishes up in the Atlantic Ocean. So one moment determines a distance of three and a half thousand miles in the ultimate destination of that one single raindrop. And of course it was preached to me in the context of scaring you into accepting Jesus as Lord, being born again, getting saved, because it was the issue of, you know, your life hangs over the continental divide and uh, this gust of wind of the gospel today will either blow you onto the right side or you'll finish up on the wrong side. And of course, it was then used that the image was if you land on the wrong side, you'll finish up in hell for all eternity. But if you land on the other side, you'll spend, you'll spend eternity in heaven with Jesus. And that's how it was preached to me. Now, I think it was a, a, a manipulative misuse in many ways of what is a true and wonderful story. But the principle of it, I understand why it would be used because it set me thinking about influence and the effect of one gust of wind. Because in essence, however we wish to define the story, the reality of it is true that that raindrop will be determined in its, in its trajectory by a momentary gust of wind. Now, I don't want that to scare anybody, um, because that, and nor to accept that that's the reality, reality for all of life, which I was also terrified with, with that every, every issue, every decision in life, every, every situation of life was governed by this same principle. And you were all the time living in danger of finishing up in the wrong place rather than the right place, uh, unless you bought our product, you know. Um, and so I don't want anybody to, to take it to that extreme either because it may not be the reality for the whole of life, but it holds reality for life. And we need to understand that influence is a critical part of life and that influence affects trajectory. Now, I'm not too concerned about whether we worry about the end result, the destination, because I don't think the gospel of the kingdom is about a destination. I think it's about a direction. It's about a trajectory. But I am interested that we understand that one gust of wind can affect the trajectory of our life, our thinking, our responses, our attitude. And it can all happen with just a moment's influence. And I, I pray today that there'll be moments in here that will be so influential that they will set you on a trajectory that will bring you to the fullness, the wholeness of what should be the process of your own life. And this all made me think about our interaction with life and whether we are engaging with something we talked about some months ago, whether we're engaging in the survival dance or the sacred dance. I talked about this months ago, but, but the whole idea of the Trinity in the Gospel, you know, Father, Son and Spirit, that third dimension, came out of a, a, a Greek word called perichoresis, which was a, a circle dance, a round dance. And, and, and that spawned, that idea of the perichoresis, the dance of all these things working together, spawned these early church fathers to come up with the doctrine that we know as the doctrine of Trinity, because they realised that we had not appreciated the importance of spirit 
within the context of what it was we were teaching. And so the problem is even God and Jesus can become matter and material. And so you think of them in material terms and matter terms. And then everything we explain about their, their activity and their intent in the world becomes an issue of matter. So that's where we come up then with angry deities. And those angry deities requiring that there be a substitution or, or that there be an appeasement of their anger. And all those come because we had what's called a dualistic viewpoint, which only sees things as right, wrong, good and evil, in, out. And so we miss that perspective. So these guys realise we need to re, re-emphasise what I call the third leg of the stool. It's hard to sit on a two-legged stool. And that's why religion's really hard, because you finish up on a two-legged stool. But when the Spirit comes in, you can sit on that three-legged stool. Suddenly you have balance. And so it reminded me of that to to say, is our interaction with life, are we engaging in the survival dance? Or are we engaging in the sacred dance? Because we're all dancing in life, whether you like it or not. We've all been partnered up and we dance. And it's either survival dance or Sacred dance. Now, the reason I introduce this is that the critical element that makes the difference is the recognition or the introduction of and the willingness to dance with spirit, which is life-giving breath, life-giving wind. Now, we're going to talk more about that as we go through. And spirit, the whole idea of spirit is non-matter reality. And unless you have a perspective in your life of non-matter reality... You will only ever dance the survival dance because there can be nothing other than what is in the material world at this time. But you see, gusts of wind uh, are moments to me and gusts of wind moments are spirit moments and they're life-defining moments and they are both momentous and they create momentum. It's interesting that our word moment spawned the word momentous, which means a memory of a, a recognition or a memory of something significant, and momentum, which is, which is a, an inspiration to move forward. And all that comes from a moment. And they're the subject matter of our journey of discovery this morning, because they're the things that ultimately set trajectory and influence outcomes. So what if one gust of wind can make the difference? If I was a psychology professor, I would uh, make the movie Chocolat required watching for all of my class so we could talk about it. In fact, um, if I were, and it's not likely to happen, uh, teaching theology in a seminary, I would also make it required watching that the students watch the movie Chocolat so we could talk about what happens in people's lives and the different quirks and, and, and changes and challenges. And of course, it helps us today because it specifically brings us onto the subject of wind. So in, 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 in the village that's portrayed in the movie Chocolat and the lives of the people that are portrayed, the, there is a, mic, a microcosm of the realities of the challenges of life. And... Uh, In the bit that we saw, and I can make so many comments about it, but even the young radical priest has the words he is allowed to say controlled by the old controlling aristocratic mayor. 
the dialogue, the narrative is being controlled and influenced. And, and, and it's controlled and influenced by this aristocratic mayor who seems to think he owns the village and everyone in it. And, and there will always be those who want to dictate the narrative. And I have to say, usually, usually, more often than not, for their own good, regardless of what they intended. You know, the best of intentions is not an excuse. I did it with the best of intentions. Well, my husband was cruel, so I stabbed him with the best of intentions. You know, the best of intentions is not always a good legitimizer of the narrative that is given. But the subtle undertone of the movie is all about understanding, reacting to, and responding to the blowing of the wind. And uh, I love the way that it moves along and shuts. And as he's about to preach, the, the, the doors of the church blow open. That's always a good thing when the doors of the church blow open. I wish, I wish metaphorically and symbolically that could happen in every nation of the world, in every Christian church, that the doors would blow open. The problem is that the controlling aristocratic mayor who's dictating the narrative immediately gets up and closes the doors to the wind of change. Now, every one of us, as an aristocratic mayor inside of us, who when the, wind, when the doors of our life and mind and spirit blow open, wants to get up, walk down the aisle and close the doors to the wind of change. I've got, a, I've got something I want to ask of you today. Don't shut the doors on the wind of change. See, the problem is most things in life get themselves rigidly fixed. And a lot of what this village story is about is how things get rigidly fixed in our life and in our existence until the wind blows. And then we have to reconsider, we have to think, just like that continental divide with the influence comes, we have to think when the wind blows about all the things that we had rigidly fixed. So my question is, why do we always perceive that wind to be a wind of adversity rather than the wind of opportunity? Why do we interpret it like the aristocratic mayor, this is a wind of adversity that needs to be shut out rather than a wind of opportunity that needs to be let in? The hymn that they were singing was interesting. I can't say that I would sing it. Come take possession of our souls and make them all thine own. Kind of summarizes it all. Listen, the whole idea of God taking possession of your soul is a construct of a religious perception of what we thought Jesus came to do when actually Jesus came to cause you to take possession of your own soul and make it your own and in that to have a a, a correct interdependent relationship with the divine. Not a codependent, which is unhealthy. Not an independent, but an interdependent, made one with him. So what I like as well is that the priest, you know, the wind blows. You can hear the wind blowing. And the priest goes into his message, which has been written by the, by the mayor. <laughs> he wants to preach something different. I'm glad I'm no longer under the influence of feeling I have to preach 
what the aristocratic mayor of a denomination or an organisation has said. And he starts preaching, and I love what he says. Where will we find truth? Where do we start looking? Where do we find truth? And then he says, will we find it? And at that moment, the doors blow open. I think it's because the truth wasn't inside the structure that they had created. It was outside in the wind. And maybe the 60s music legend Bob Dylan was right when he sang, the answer, my friend, is blowing in the wind. Now, funnily enough, the Bible talks about this very thing. But in pursuing it, I found something very interesting. And that is that there are two kinds of wind. I don't mean like north wind and south wind. (coughs) But I'm talking about the nature and therefore the experience of wind. And don't start giggling that we mean burpy wind or pumpy wind. You know, that's not the experience I'm talking about. But I'm talking about two kinds of wind that by nature are a different experience. And while our English language um, is, is, is a good language and it's adequate, but it doesn't have the depth of language of, of a language like Greek. We often just use one word for things that require more than one word and that's sometimes the problem with our reading of the Bible itself because the translators bring it into English make one word but often that one word can mean to us something other than what the original would mean because we've replaced many words with one word and then we've invented some as well like hell and church which I'm not here to talk about And and the two stories, accounts that I want to use this morning, particularly in my next uh, section, to to talk to you about these two kinds of wind. One, One is of a Jewish ruler who was a religious Pharisee, who was afraid of what the new wind might demand. And the other is about a life changing incident seen as a life threatening incident that was all to do with the wind of a storm. And the key to understanding these two stories is in understanding the use of those two words for wind. I'll come to explaining these two words for wind that I mentioned to you in just a moment because they're very important. But before I do that, I just want to refer to the, the, the clip that we just saw. Because the struggle with that wind, what the wind demands is, sorry, I've got to find my place here, there we go. Um, It's about the struggle with, with what that wind is saying and what the wind demands. And the clip starts with an image of an urn. So when she's talking to a mother, a mother's not there in the flesh. Mother is in the urn. And the clip that starts with this image of the urn is trying to show us that the urn contains the ashes of Vianne, who's the main character's mother. And it was her experience in childhood that defined what the wind meant when you watch the movie. And what it speaks of is how we interpret the wind of the present through the ashes of past experience. 
because the mother's ashes were important in the story because it was the mother's ashes and the experience of the mother and how she was raised that was now dictating how she interpreted what the wind happened to be saying. And what you'll see is the urn at the end of that clip must be smashed. And the ashes spilled so redemption can do its beautiful work. When you saw the crowd at the end, they were all the people whose lives have been transformed by Vianne because she was a wind coming into the village to affect their lives and didn't realise her own impact upon them. And so there's this wonderful story of redemption for her own life coming back to her from the very people that she had influenced with her life and by her life. But this issue, and it sounds irreverent and I hope nobody's upset by it, but the urn of your mother's ashes must be smashed. I know it's metaphoric, I know it's symbolic, but you understand what I'm saying. The urn of your mother's ashes must be smashed and they must be spilled for redemption to do its beautiful work. Now, to bring it up now to the two incidences I wanted to talk to you about with the two different winds, one of them is a very classic scripture that many of you will be aware of in John chapter 3. I just want to read you the verses and then I'll show you what I mean. It says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, and this man came to Jesus by night. Why did he come by night? Because he was afraid of what people would say if they saw that he was pursuing what Jesus was really saying and what Jesus really meant. And it's interesting that in our worldwide audience, we have a lot of Nicodemuses who would never tell their pastor or their leader what it is that they're listening to, how often and how it has influenced their life. But thank God for Nicodemuses having somewhere to come by night to have the conversation. And he says, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him and said to him, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Probably the most misunderstood and misrepresented verse in the whole of the New Testament. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, the word there is pneuma, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit, pneuma, is spirit, pneuma. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind, pneuma, right? The wind here translated from the word pneuma, which means spirit or breath, blows where it wishes or where it wants, and you hear the sound of it but cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. And so is everyone born of the pneuma. Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered, probably a little irritated, and said to him, are you a teacher of Israel and do not know these things? So here we've got this whole issue of, in John chapter 3, of, of the word wind being translated from the Greek word pneuma, meaning breath or spirit. Now, it, it's, it's, it's the other understood through a different way. The other one is understood through threat to life. This one is the incident is the means of being born into something new. The other one is about a threat to life. Let me just read it to you very briefly. Obviously don't have a lot of time, but I think you're going to get it because you look brighter. 
than I think you are. In Mark chapter 4, it says, On the same day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side. And a great wind arose. But here it's not the word pneuma, spirit, it's the word animos. And the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him, Jesus is asleep in the storm. They awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind, not the pneuma, the animos, and said to the sea, peace be still, and the wind, the animos, not the pneuma, ceased. And there was a great calm. <coughs> Excuse me. But he said to them, why are you still so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be that even the animos... And the sea obey him. Now that word animos is a word for wind, but it means more a violent agitation of the stream of air. Rather than a gentle spirit, it's a violent agitation. Now, you should be able to grasp something here. The word animos in the Greek became the word animus in Latin and became the word animosity in English. So this wind that they are reacting to is the wind of animosity, not the wind of spirit. It's a wind of threat, not a wind of life. But the question is, could it be down to our interpretation? Because Jesus, in the wind of animosity, is not affected by the wind of animosity because he's resting in the wind of spirit of peace and he's asleep so we have the two winds at work in the same situation but one makes you sleep through the storm the other one makes you fear the storm the interesting thing is one is an open invitation to opportunity let me come back to that animosity because it's interesting. If some of you have not fully understood what animosity is, it's strong feelings of dislike or hatred, ill will or resentment tending towards hostility. And I know that many of you, all of us at some time in life, have had resentment tending towards hostility because of the wind, because of how we interpret the wind, because of what we think the wind in our life is doing now. So our wind becomes an animos, instead of a pneuma. And one is an open invitation to opportunity and possibility. That's the pneuma. The other is the birthplace of animosity. Winds of animosity create reactions of animosity, which usually manifest in words of accusation. Don't you care that we're perishing? Well, the truth is, no, he didn't, because they weren't. And we often want care about something that isn't, but it's a perception of our own mind because of how we interpreted the wind. But if we interpreted the wind correctly, instead of accusing everybody of not caring about us, we'd all be snuggled up together in a sleep pile in the back of the boat. See, reactionary responses as a result of fear rarely initiate a healthy trajectory. And I'm trying to get this through to you. If you read the wind wrong, reactionary responses 
as a result of fear, rarely initiate a healthy trajectory. We're back to the continental divide, the gust, the influence of the moment. Jesus was asleep in the boat, in a storm, in an animos wind. So how often do we get thrown off course and experience fear and agitation because of the wind of animosity? You know the difference in the two winds? Because one imparts possibility in life. The other deposits animosity toward life. One is spirit, the other is matter. That's how you tell the difference. So if you want to say, which wind is influencing me today? Are you being deposited with animosity towards life? Or are you having imparted to you possibility in life? That's the difference. And when you catch the wind of spirit, all of a sudden, instead of animosity toward life, you have possibility in life. So does it all boil down to interpretation? You tell me. Jesus goes on to say, the wind, the pneuma, blows where it wishes, blows where it wants. And you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. So as that wind does, so does everybody who's in that wind. But that wind doesn't act how religion taught us it should act. Because first of all, you can hear the sound of it. In other words, it's not matter. It's not material. And that's where you can even misrepresent the expression of God in the flesh. We make God human in our understanding. We create Jesus in a way that we can grasp him as human. And we make the whole thing what some people call anthropomorphic. So we can only see it through the understanding of matter material world, material understanding, material behavioural patterns rather than spirit. This is a sound that has no matter, but it can be seen as matter, but at the root of it, it is not matter. God is a spirit and those who worship him, worship him in spirit and truth. So we must not reduce spirit, God, into matter just so we can understand better what it is that distorts that spirit to make him everything in matter that we disliked anyway. The only thing you can button down with this pneuma wind is its existence and its presence. If you want to know about spirit and the spirit of God, the only thing you can button down is its existence and its presence. It cannot and will not be controlled, manipulated or shaped into material forms that you want to comfort your religious needs. And it says you don't know where it comes from. And you don't know where it's going. Now wrestle with that. These, were, these are reported as the words of Jesus saying, listen guys, if you, want to understand, you don't know where it comes from, you don't know where it's going. But somehow we've buttoned it down to knowing where it comes from and knowing where it's all going. Now, bear in mind contextually, Jesus is now talking to a religious leader who is a Pharisee. So he is a religious Pharisee 
who is steeped in Old Testament understanding and the relationship of God and Israel and, and him as one of those people. And now God is, uh, Jesus is saying to this man, listen, I need you to know something. Where you come from and where you're going is not the point. Now to every religious Jew, where you came from and where you were going was the whole point. And so we took that and brought it into Christianity and say, where you come from, your sinful Adamic nature, where you're going, heaven or hell, is the point. I'm here to tell you, it's not the point. And it was never the point. The point was finding that wind, that spirit, that he says you can hear the sound of it and you'll recognise the sound. Why? Because it's the sound of opportunity. It's the sound of possibility. It's not the sound of animosity and judgment and condemnation. The only thing you can button down with this wind is its existence and presence. And now he says to this religious Jew who's so steeped in his history, where you come from and where you're going is not the point. And here's what it says. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. So it is with everyone born of the pneuma. So it is with everyone born of this wind, right? Don't know where it's come from, don't know where it's going, and that doesn't matter. Its presence matters. That's the influence of the opportunity that comes now. And the love it says, are you a teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? If I'm crying out loud in Jesus' name. There is, so let me just round this off. There is an adventurous... What next? At work and contained within this pneuma spirit. It's an adventurous thing. Don't know where it's come from. Don't know where it's going. If that's not a definition of adventure, then I don't know what is. Don't know where it's come from. Don't know where it's going. But you might not want adventure. You might want to be the aristocratic mayor who shuts the door on the wind. Because the idea of not knowing where it's come from and where it's going is way too scary. It's way too, way too, I'm trying to think of Peter N's words about when he talks about the Bible. Sin of, the sin of certainty. It seems way too uncertain, but actually there is more certainty in this uncertainty than the other kind of certainty, because that kind of certainty, I guarantee you, you only even have to look at religious history to see, that kind of certainty always has the wind of animosity driving it. You've not got it right, you're not in, we've got it right, it's our God, it's not your God, you come in this way, you pray that prayer, you say these words, you do need to be baptised, you don't, you have to be filled with the Spirit, it doesn't matter, you're already filled with the Spirit, you have to speak in tongues, doesn't matter if you don't speak in tongues. All this is animosity, it's winds, of animosity instead of relaxation into this wind of the spirit this pneuma that Jesus says this will cause you to be born again and you don't have to go back into your mother's womb you just have to be willing to break the urn that holds your mother's ashes right that's how you do it not by going back into the mother's womb break the urn that holds your mother's ashes and then you come to this place of where the wind blows where it wants. You don't know where it comes from, where it goes, but so is everyone born of this wind, born of this spirit, into that adventurous what next that's at work and contained within it. So here's where I finish it off. 
Jesus said in verse 6 of that John chapter 3, and I haven't got a lot of time to deal with this, but I think you'll catch it. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit, the pneuma, the wind, is spirit. So the two are different. We are being told to get that there is, a, there is a kind of wind, a flesh wind, an animosity wind that can only ever produce the same result. But the spirit one produces spirit. One is to do with matter. The other one is to do with the sound, the unseen, the spirit. If you always carry with you the ashes of past experience, they will always affect your response to the wind. One of our great problems is how much we have materialized spirit and spiritualized matter. And that's a good conversation for another day. So much of what comes from our belief pulls God down to our level. And we say he is pneuma, but we express him as animos. He's the pneuma God who has a lot of animosity towards people in the world. See, we preach him as humour, express him as animos. We presume that by a set of confirmed beliefs, we can corral the divine essence into the finite realms of our human understanding. Now, we've got a song, but you're going to see in our last video clip that if you let the animus wind blow where it blows... Sorry, let let me read this and I'll make sure I get it right, then I'm not confusing myself. You'll see from our last video clip, let the animos wind blow where it blows. But it's blowing there without us, right? You can't stop it. Let it blow where it blows, but it's blowing there without us. But it can have the ashes of our past experience, because what she does is she takes those ashes from the broken pot and she throws them into the animus wind that's leading the village and says, I'm not coming with you, but you can have the ashes of my past experience. And we rest in the reality and presence of the wind of the Spirit and are happy to not know where we are going except to know it's dripping with opportunity and saturated with possibility. This truly is the Spirit of God. And this truly marks our own continental divide. Thanks for listening to another Q York podcast. If you've been inspired by what you've heard today, then why not email us at info at qyork.co.uk and let us know who you are and where you're listening from. We love that you're listening to us and we'd love to hear from you too. Did you know you can also watch all of the talks from Q on our YouTube channel? Just go to youtube.com forward slash Q Church York. We look forward to having you with us again soon. Until then, enjoy the quest.